Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles, go with me to uh, Genesis 3.15. Hey man, I've had a lot going through my spirit this week of just different things. And I've got several sermons. Great. Uh, appreciate everybody Wednesday night, by the way. Thank you guys. Uh, Tom had surgery. Uh, we, we had prayer for Tom Barnes, and he had surgery, and they removed the tumors, and uh, he is doing well. And the cancer had not spread anywhere else, so that is wonderful news. So please keep praying for him, and that God would just continue to give a complete healing. Daniel taught, and we talked about sometimes miracles are progressive, and sometimes uh, they come in stages. And so let's pray that this one continues to be worked out. If you got your Bibles, I want to. I want to. We titled this. We just call it New Covenant Class. You're going to be in the classroom for a minute, and we've talked a lot on New Covenant. And I don't have a PowerPoint, but uh, <clears throat> I want to, uh, uh, this is just something that you're going to hear from time to time that I'm going to reiterate because how many know if maybe Raymond would know this and others that have been in construction and into uh, <clears throat> that the foundation is everything. And I grew up in the Bible Belt and uh, like many of you and Growing up in the Bible Belt, I came to learn later as I came to know Christ that uh, it, it caused my lens <clears throat> to be very uh, warped when it comes to God and to salvation. And, and, and I believe there's many of us, maybe even here, some of us that may even have warped lenses, I, I hope not, but we carry those warped things into our life. You grow up in the South, everybody used to be, not anymore in this postmodern world, but everybody used to be a Christian. Uh, well, you, you know, when you, when you came, especially to the Deep South, everybody, that's why we had a hundred uh, churches on every corner, is because everybody went to church and everybody, your grandmama was a, a Christian, the grandmother behind that, in many, many cases. And Often, even in that, we, we didn't go into the Bible ourselves and find out our, what salvation was. We just said, this is what grandmother said. Well, grandmother might have, 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 have put a lens on you that doesn't line up with Scripture. And we did the same with my denomination said, or my church says, or my pastor says, or all of these type things. And so you can really grow up with uh, having lens. And so, uh, uh, um, you know, I, 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 you can get tangled up in a lot of religion a lot, rather than, than a relationship with Jesus Christ and not really be saved. You could be doing a lot of... Uh, of uh, ritual. You could be doing a lot of uh, uh, good things, uh, going to church, reading, you know, doing a lot of various things, ticking a lot of boxes, but still not know the Lord. And that's why truth is so important, and it's so vital today that you. This this is truth. And I know you've been taught in school, young people, that there are no absolutes. And that was the greatest trick out of the enemy and the greatest lie out of the pit of hell. This is absolute. This is final. It is absolutely truth. Every, things outside of this may not be truth, but this right here is absolutely truth. It is divine. It is 100% truth. You can take it to the bank. It's recorded in heaven. And if you don't believe it now, one day you will stand before truth himself and you will realize that this is 
this truth that everything outside and a part of this, it's a lie. And so that's why we've gotten fundamentally off base a lot, even in churches today. And that's why the new covenant is so, so vital to us understanding. Uh, Some grew up with with a theology like this. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Oh no. He loves me not. Some of you grew up with a hope before today's over. I don't lose it and do something wrong because if I don't have time to repent before that, I'm going to wind up in hell. He loves me. He loves me not. So we better hope that God comes right now while we're all being good in church, right? Because He loves me, right? And that's the way some of us grew up with that type of thinking. Uh, in fact, David Wilkerson's mom was a, a, like a several generation uh, um, uh, Pentecostal woman. And, and, and I heard a story about her on her deathbed. Amazing woman. Amazing saint of God. And she was so terrified on her deathbed as to whether she was going to, to, to whether God was going to be pleased with her or not. And, and whether she, she wanted to make sure she was right. I mean, we should all make sure we're right before God when we go in. But there was this, this foreboding and this fear of He loves me, He loves me not. I hope I haven't or don't do anything before He comes that would, that would cause me to, to, to do something wrong. David Wilkerson also, one of my heroes, he preached, I mean, he preached hell so hot and, and, and services where white knuckles were, were on the pews and they would run to the altars. And he said he noticed something sometime during his ministry. He noticed Notice that after a while, some of the same people that were coming weeks and months before crying out to God when He gave the altar calls, some of those same people were coming down with the same cry of God in their heart. And, and, and He noticed that, 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 that there were a people that had no victory. And it began to really bother Him. And He began to say, is there something wrong with my message? What is going on that, that, that yes, people need to know that they are sinners. Yes, they need to know the depravity of man, but at some point they need to come down and know they're covered and they need to come into the victory of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with the message and the gospel that I'm preaching? So he, it took him into this time period where you can read it in his biography and stuff, where it took him into this time period where he began to go back and study the new covenant and he began to study uh, uh, so, soteriology which is just a $50 word for the story of salvation correctly. And he began to study that deeply. And he began to read books like the Puritans and the Reformers um, and began to begin to just dig in and find out and mine out again what, what, what uh, salvation and Christianity is. Because all throughout history at different times, sometimes we get off even though we have that message, we get bent and we get off. And let me tell you, whenever we get bent, the bend always goes back to us. It always goes back to self when we get it bent. That's why we had a reformation. It had to straighten that back out. And that's what Wilkerson began to do, even in his own ministry, is he began to dig deep and say, have I bent the message? And he got into these writers and into these people and began to just go into something that was not 
new, it really is not, when we say the word new covenant, it's really not anything new. We're simply talking about the New Testament. And we're talking about what Jesus came to do. And here's what happens when you, when you get off course. As I said, with a building, the foundation, if the foundation is not right, what's going to happen? If the foundation is not solid, when you begin to go up with the structure and it's heavy, it's going to lean. Okay? And so we have to get, that's why today there are so many today that don't have this right and the Christianity they are building is leaning. And we got churches full of it. And we've got people full of it. And they have all these ideas. And they're off on these tangents. And the foundation is not solid. So it's vital. That's why I keep going over this over and over and over again. Because here's where it leads to if the building leans. It either leans legalistically. You either become a legalist. You become a great legalist when you get off course of what the new covenant and real genuine salvation is Christ. When you get bent, you bend back towards self and you become a legalist or you become licentious. And that's the two where you teeter and where you totter and what you begin to build on. And so we want to make sure that we are building on a right foundation. Back in the AIDS days, back in the AIDS crisis, there was another preacher I listened to who listens to Wilkerson and some of the others and runs in some of the same circles. And he, after Wilkerson had studied this message, it got into him and he began to really understand it. He went to Africa during the AIDS uh, pandemic that many of you remember if you're my you remember when AIDS, live aid, and all those things were going on. People were dying left and right in Africa. Well, the church was also exploding in Africa in some ways. And this gentleman went over and preached in Africa. And he said something that was amazing. He was going to take this message. And one of the things that the African church was really bad about was kind of like the American. They got a lot into prosperity gospel and different things. And they really, he went to this conference and all they wanted to know, well, you know, was how many are you running? How many are you running? Blah, 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 blah. And he said, he, he said he When they came to him, he was so embarrassed because he's a pastor in Ireland. And Ireland, if you know anything about Ireland, it's a very hard place to minister and a very hard place where there's not a lot of, there's been a strong uh, Catholic presence and that sort of thing. But the evangelical presence has been very, very low and it's been hard plowing. So when they asked him about how many he's running, he knew when he told them, I don't hardly have any. They're not, they're going to shut down closed spirit. They don't want to listen to this guy anymore. But God put something in his spirit. And he began to look around and notice something that was going on there. And, and, and he opened up the meeting because he asked the pastor, he asked the bishop there who was over a bunch of churches there, uh, something about, uh, he, he said, how many in your church live immoral lives? And the, and the bishop came back and he said, 70 to 80. And he said, 70 to 80. And the bishop said 70 to 80%. They were dying from AIDS too. They were living immoral lives. They were doing everything the world was doing. And the, and the bishop was, uh, and this guy was appalled at saying, and, and so here's the question he opened the service with that night when they went ahead and, and, and let him preach. He opened the meeting with, what gospel did you receive? Because something's wrong here. Something's wrong with the foundation because here's what he said, it sure isn't working. And that's what I would like to ask America sort of too, is, is what, what gospel did you receive? Because it sure is not working in our lives. 
right? It's not giving us the victory in some sense, and it's not driving the immorality out in another sense. So what gospel are we preaching? So it's vital that we preach the right gospel in this place. So there's something wrong, and if there's something wrong, we gotta, we got to go back like Wilkerson did and look at the foundation of our Christianity. So the question to you today, unlike the one in Africa, is are you interested in building on the right foundation? Because salvation is the Lord's device. It's not your device or my device or the church of God's device. It's salvation is the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. This was his idea. This was his plan. This, this, this is not some uh, just, just haphazard thing. This was designed by an infinite mind of God, an all-wise God. And it is perfect. It is calculated. It is precise. It is good. It is so wonderful. It's his. And so, so, so how does God, here's the problem with salvation. Though The issue that God has is this. It's not how I get right with God because, that, uh, because that's the wrong question. The issue of salvation is how does God justify a friendship with you and me? How does God justify and then look in the mirror? How does he justify a friendship with you, Cole, and then look in the mirror and, and say he's holy? How does he do that with you, Amber? How does he do that with you, Daniel? How does he justify this holy God who's never sinned, never done one thing wrong, and yet we have, how does he justify having a friendship with us and not tainting that holiness? That's the problem with salvation. And so so, uh, uh, when we constantly fall, not only did we fall before, and then we come to salvation, and then what do we do? Oh, I'll never do anything wrong again. Well, how long did that last? Right? Because I ticked some of you off this morning with my prayer. How long did that last? It didn't, it didn't last long. So, so, so here's the Puritan writers, listen, he, they introduced something called forensic justification. And it comes from a Latin word that means court of law. In a court of law, justification. That, that's what God is doing in the scriptures. He is, he is somehow, the whole story, I, please don't lose me. I said we're in school. I know you hate the word school. Some of you got out of school and hoped you never had to go back to school. But listen, this is really important when you read your Bibles. This is really important in understanding and reading your Bibles correctly. Is, 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 is listening to, to, to this madman today. Is, 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 uh, what he is doing in the Scriptures is he is doing that forensic justification. He is, he is doing in a court of law justification so that he can be our friends and still remain holy. That's what he's doing when you open up the pages of Scripture. So, so uh, a covenant, listen, is a legal agreement, you've heard this before, between two parties that places an obligation on both parties. That it is a, a legal agreement between two parties that places an obligation between those two people, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. There's something we agree to. There's something each party has to do. I will love you. I will cherish you. I will honor you. That's, a, that's an example of a covenant. Well, there's covenants all through the Word of God, and there's covenants all through the Old Testament, and we've gone through those, and you can go back and listen to them more in depth. But the first covenant that we find in the, the, the Old Testament is full. So this is going to help you in your Bible reading if you understand why God is making 
repeating these agreements over and over with man. And what he's forensically trying to do, what he's trying to do in these covenants, and what the ultimate covenant that is to come, that he planned out way before the foundation of the world, that, that Christ would die way before you were ever even conceived or thought of, that he would do that. So the first covenant that we find in the Word of God is the Adamic covenant. And, and it's, it, we know it's a covenant because not because it mentions anything about covenant there, but in the book of Hosea, it mentions about this being a covenant. And so it's the first covenant that God makes. These two trees are a covenant there. And they're basically, uh, there is a, a covenant. Hosea 6.5 says, As with Adam, they have transgressed my covenant. As with Adam, the humanity has transgressed my covenant. They broke the agreement. They broke the agreement they have with me. What's a, what's a covenant? We both make an agreement and we both have to do something. God kept his part. We broke our part. And so you're going to see God do all these covenants to show man something about man. About himself. And man just keeps pulling himself up and saying, next time God, I got you. And, and so we're going to see what God's doing in these covenants. So he had two trees. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You can have everything you want, God says, but stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God didn't make man uh, come into this world as a baby with hair under his arms and already uh, grown and all that sort of thing. Uh, he, he made him a fully man, but he, he had this journey that they were going to walk on together. It was kind of a romantic journey that they were going to name the animals together and they were going to walk with each other and man was going to discover new things all the time about himself and man was going to learn man man was going to he was going to increase in intelligence he was going to uh, you know uh, he doesn't instinctively just know everything it's this journey of walking and becoming more as God would lead him he would draw from the tree of life that was the way God designed it hey as we walk together you will draw more from me and you'll grow and, and I'm inviting you to go on this journey with me. It's a journey of love. It's a journey of relationships. It's a journey of absorbing intelligence and growing into intelligence. And so God gave Adam an option in this covenant. You can walk with me in this, in this journey, in this love uh, relationship, in this growing uh, intellectually, in drawing from the tree of life, which we know to be Christ. You can draw from the life of Christ and you can be satisfied and have everything you want or the enemy now introduces something a thought however you could be as God and you could eat from the tree of knowledge science and mathematics and increase in all these things and do it your way rather than drawing from the tree of life like I did. And so he, he paints this picture. You can be as God. You can, you can take knowledge as your way forward for science, Newtonians, mathematics, and then it will elevate your position. You can pull yourself up because knowledge is there. Science and technology will answer every problem, right? That's what we do today. We bypass God, the tree of life. We could have eternal life. No, we're going to create a new pill. And once we get this thing right, when Pfizer gets it right, you'll take it and you'll live forever. Right? Knowledge of man. Right? 
We, we will do it our way. You can elevate the thinking and your position and you'll have every answer to your problem and, 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 and technology and we can figure this out. We can do this as mankind. You can either go with God on His journey or you can go your journey and, and have knowledge like He has and you can figure it out. And man took the bait. And then the beguiling of the enemy says, there's knowledge that you don't know about. But I know about it. I was in heaven. I was there. I saw these things. And he's, and he's just baiting them. And he's baiting them. And when Adam took the bait, here's what he filled the race of humanity with. Self-belief. That's what he filled us with. You can do it yourself. That's what our entire race is filled with now today. You can do it. What is every commercial? You can do it. It's about you. It, it, it's try harder, do more, run faster, do this and you can do that. And God had, had, had some job ahead of him, of a preacher that I heard recently say something about it, knocking the snot out of us with this. And that's what you're reading in the covenants throughout the Bible. This is God knocking the self-attitude out of mankind through the covenant. So when you read these, that's what you're seeing. Now, after the fall, God gives man a promise. And this is important. It's called the proto-evangelion. Another $50 word that really means nothing. You don't have to remember it. But what that is, is a theological term, and it means first gospel. It is the first place the gospel is mentioned, and it's mentioned by God himself. And he writes it into Scripture immediately after the fall. And here's what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, capital S-E-E-D, not seeds. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the, so, so this tells me immediately that the fall did not catch God unaware. God knew exactly what was going to happen. He has salvation calculated. He has salvation. It's not chaos. He knows exactly. He's saying there is a solution and it's called the seed. The seed is somebody John in the book of Revelation saw that was slain before the foundation of the world. He was saying there is a promise given to the seed. He will crush Satan's head and there is only one person, he's saying, who gets the glory for salvation salvation and it's not you it's not a denomination it's not some preacher it's not some grandmother it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone he is the plan the only plan he's going to crush the head of the enemy He's going to crush the can-do out of mankind. He's going to take care of all of this. And so what happened? We read it last week. Adam and Eve's eyes were open after the fall. They realized they were naked. They began to hide and cover themselves. And here's the thought that entered into their mind. See, I broke it, so I will fix it. Isn't that what we do? I did the deed, so it's my responsibility to fix it. And that's the attitude that entered into the heart of man. But here's the problem. Man doesn't realize how broke he is. And the American gospel that has gone way off track and bent hasn't done a good job. In fact, it's deceived a lot of people. Because we don't realize we are beyond our fixing it. Okay? 
The problem with man goes way deeper than we kind of knocked a vase over. Maybe we can glue it back together. It is shattered. It is broken. It is beyond you and I or any human being fixed. It's beyond a priest. It's beyond a bull. It's beyond a goat. It's beyond anything. And so this has to be taken out of us. And this is what the covenants are designed for. It's to take the the can-do attitude out of mankind. And so He gives them to us all throughout the Old Testament over and over and over and over again continuing to say, alright, here's the deal. My side and your side. And 3,000 years of this that went on with God keeping His side and man breaking His side every stinking time. Until it wore him down. And we see that Galatians tells us that the the law came in, and we'll look at it in a minute, and and it was a schoolmaster. It was designed to break us down and to show us that, hey, you can't do this. That there's one coming. It's the seed. The seed. Listen, Abraham, the Bible says, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness he believed God do you know what do you know it and here's here's what we do here's what we do in 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 our thinking as man every generation thinks theirs will get it right come on you did it too I did it here's what we did my parents let my let let one of my brothers get away with murder I'll never let that happen in my house we'll parent right We'll do it better. Right? Isn't that what we do? We'll do it better than the previous generation. Only to get in so deep and find out, wait, this was way harder than mom and dad let me realize. We're making a lot of mistakes too. I'm no better than my parents. In fact, I'm a lot like my parents. And that's what they begin to discover. That's what Elijah, after he's been on the mountain and had the huge success, now he's down in the valley and he's in the cave. And all of a sudden the angel of the Lord comes to him and begins to deal with him. And he comes to a place where he's exhausted the angel of Christ is there and he cries out to him I'm no better than my father's he thinks beforehand they didn't get it right we're going to get it right and all of a sudden he wakes up to the fact that he realizes I'm no better than my father's man thinks far more high of himself than he ought to he thinks that through discipline and through rituals and through religion he can do it better I can finally get it right and that's what the covenants the Adamic covenant the Noahic covenant the Abrahamic covenant the Mosaic covenant the Levitical covenant the David covenant and finally the Christic covenant comes or the new covenant comes in and these covenants are how God communicated with man all through the Old Testament to show man things about themselves that they needed to know about themselves. That's why the Bible says these things in the Old Testament were written for our admonishing, for our encouragement, for our teaching so that we would learn so that we would not be repeating the same failures that they repeated and and, and so we remember Remember that God in Genesis 3.15 said, The seed will come and crush the head. And that's where I was getting to with Genesis 15.6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham... The seed is going to crush to come through you. That's That's what Abraham was told in Genesis 15. Genesis 3.15, there was a seed coming. Now, Genesis 15, God picks Abraham out of all the people and says, that seed is coming through you. 
Now Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe that was credited to him as righteous? He believed the seed was going to come through him, Margaret. No, get this. This is dire to your salvation. He believed the seed was going to come. He believed, I'll send a seed to defeat the devil. And that's what he said. He said, I'm going to come to a man through with this seed. It's going to, that man's going to turn into a nation. That, that, that man's going to be put into a land. That man's going to land on a beachhead in that land. And that's where the Savior of the universe is finally going to come. The seed is going to come. That was told to Abraham. And he believed. He looked forward. We look back and we say, hey, I believe Jesus Christ came on that beachhead. I believe He came through Father Abraham. I believe that Father Abraham became a nation. I believe that the Son of God landed on the beachhead, came through a virgin, and He was born there. Our salvation is looking back and saying, I believe that. He died. He was buried and rose again. Abraham had the same salvation. He had the same faith. His was just looking forward. He had heard the Genesis 3.15. He had heard that there is a seed coming of a woman and it's going to crush the enemy and he looked into the future and he believed what God said by faith and it was credited to him as righteousness he received the first gospel it's only by the gospel that we come to salvation right how did he know that you do know Noah was living together with Abraham for 39 years before before he dies so Shem and grandchildren and all of them have heard about Genesis 3.15 from Adam and now Noah and Lamech and all of these. This, this, this verse is passed down. There's a seed coming. There's a seed coming. There's a promise of the seed. And he's going to crush the devil. He's going to crush the enemy. So this is being handed down. And all of a sudden now, he heard, now Abraham hears it from his great, great, great grandfather, Shem, who says there's going to come a seed. And God spoke to Abraham and he believed the Proto-Evangelion, which is the gospel. And that's why it is credited to him as righteousness. So now they're coming. They're in the land. The next generation is coming. Uh, and Moses brings them into the promised land. Land, and God makes a covenant with them and, and he says you do this and I'll do this and, and, and again we said these covenants we're not going through all of them but they're a pattern to learn about ourselves and we know the Mosaic law I'm talking about was the one where he brings the ten commandments there and all of a sudden they turn these basic ten commandments into 613 laws and rules because they keep adding subtext and subtext and subtext if you keep these ten then I will be your God and I will fight to you. But the reality was they were given to them to show you can't do it. Not this generation, not the next generation, not the next generation. No generation can say I'm in heaven because I was just better than the last one and we finally got it right. Nobody's going to stand there and say we got it right or we were better. It was all given. The law was given to work death into you and frustrate you to the core but yet there's this resistance in the heart of man and that's why he had to keep bringing covenant after covenant after covenant that's why he had to bring law after law after law so that this could be worked so deep inside of you that you can't do it and that oh, that makes us mad as humans it hits our pride so bad 
And so the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was to teach us something about ourselves. You can't do it. Ezekiel said, I looked for a man among them who could stand in the gap on behalf of the people, and I found none. Guess what? Most of us take that and say, I'll be that man. No, he already had a man. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus. And he stood in the gap for you and for me and for all of mankind. And he did it what we could not do. Amen? And so these laws finally get worked into the heart of man and it's beginning to dawn on them, I bring nothing to the table. I can't save myself. And there's four servant songs that, that just prove that Christ is the covenant and He is the covenant maker. And, 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 and you can go home and read them. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 53. The four servant songs that talk about Jesus and the covenant the, and the covenant made with the Father. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 53. Here's the uniqueness of our Christ. The God-man. He is fully God, yet He is fully man. Listen to me here. He didn't take on flesh. He became flesh. Okay, understand this is vital. I'm giving you school today, and I know it's getting long, and I know some of us want to nod out and, and, and check out, but this is, this is really, really important. The uniqueness of Christ is that He is fully God and fully man. Look, in the Old Testament, He took on the appearance of something. He, he was an angel, and he would take on the appearance, uh, and he would have these appearances that would take place in the Old Covenant, standing there maybe with Joshua, or st- wrestling with Jacob. But now, that's not what we're talking about here. This is something totally different that was thought of and conceived in the mind of God. Now, he is becoming flesh. God is not just, just having the appearance of, he is becoming one of us. He is becoming a man. The Son of God, the Son of Man. He is becoming one of us, the incarnation. Now He becomes flesh and dwells among us. He becomes part of the human race and He was going to make a covenant with the Father on behalf of the human race. Yes. This is why He has to become man. Why did He become man? There has to be a covenant made. There is no man that can make it a covenant. So he'll come and become the covenant and make a covenant with with the Father. He as a human. And so he keeps the law perfectly. He does everything that the first Adam failed. And we all became sinners because of the first Adam. Now he comes as a man, does everything correctly, and satisfies God and signs the document so that we can have eternal life. He lives a perfect life. His water baptism was not because he needed repentance. John was doing a baptism of repentance. Guess what? It was a baptism of independent living and a raised to be led by the Spirit. He was laying down the will of his life. He was laying down his life and he was taking up to follow the Spirit. And where did the Spirit lead him? Immediately into the wilderness. I do nothing of my own. I say nothing only unless the Father tells me to do it. I only do what the Father tells me. I'm keeping the law. I'm doing everything that a good Jewish boy would have to do by law. And wherever you lead me, I'm going. And I'm going to do it. And I will fulfill this part of the covenant on behalf 
behalf of mankind. You do your part, I'll do my part. And so, Father, I will go. I'll live a, a perfect, obedient life. I will be the propitiation, which is the legal justification for the sin of man. I will pay their sin because they are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. I will do everything you ask of me to do. And now, Father, here is your part. If they put their faith in me, then you will receive them as well. If, if I rise from the dead, then they will rise from the dead too. If I go and get seated at the right hand of majesty, then they will seat in heavenly places with me. And the Father says, okay, you do your part, I'll do my part. And that's exactly what happened for you and for me and for the human race, folks. The new covenant is not something that you and I broker with God. It is something that the Son of God, the Son of Man, brokered with God on our behalf and we enter into the covenant by faith. Amen. And I'm going to get ready here in a minute and try to land. The difference with the old covenant is the new covenant, listen, is how you engage with God. And you need to get this. Because I've spent many years in salvation not, not living in the privilege of it. And where I said, looking through the wrong lenses. When you sin as a Christian, and you begin to feel this hardening of your heart, and if you're really a Christian, you will feel that. And the devil says you have no right to go into the presence of God. How many of that's what he does immediately to you? And if you're like me, I go up sulking for days outside of his presence, beating myself up, having penance, probably staying away from my Bible or prayer because I don't deserve it and blah, 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 blah. And when you could have been, that, that is not under the new covenant the way that you're supposed to live. That's the way you lived under the old covenant. But the way that we live now under the new covenant is a higher way. And that's why the church is so full of weak Christians. That's why we, if we, we, we probably did things this week and we come in and say, well, he's yelling at me, but I can't raise my hand if he knew what I did this week then he would understand why I can't worship God and but and that's why we're living in a place like this but we got to exercise our faith in what Christ has done and when you exercise your faith in what Christ has done you realize I'm qualified because of him it's not because of me it's because of him and when you do that then the Holy Spirit is released by the Father to come and give us the ability to suppress the sinful nature it's when you put your faith in him it's when you run back to the covenant promises. Then the Holy Spirit is released for you to rise above those other things and to suppress sin. It's not about you. It's not about the, it's about the power that works in you through faith. And so here's the example of an old covenant father. And I said this a few weeks ago. And a new covenant father. At the end of the school semester, the old covenant son comes in with his report card to his dad. And if he's like me, he probably is not looking him in the eye. He looks at it and goes, the father opens it up and he says, English F, Math D, Geography F, and it goes on and goes on with this terrible report that comes through. And here's what the Old Testament father says, I'm telling you something, son. You go to your room and you'll be there and there'll be no more PlayStation for you. Your allowance is gone. You'll never see the light of the day. And as he goes up the steps, here's a kick as you go up the stairs. And you'd better pull up those grades, young man. And then here's the new covenant kid. He comes home, hands his report card to his dad. Dad opens it up, math F, 
English D, and it's another bad report. The New Covenant Dad closes the report, says, do you know what you, uh, do you know what, son? You are my son. I am your father. I'm going to take time off work. I'm going to walk this journey with you because I won't let you fail. I'm going to come alongside of you. You don't have a natural aptitude for this, but I'm going to help you. And the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world. When He came, He came that through Him the world might be saved. Amen? Brad, you failed yesterday, but guess what? I'm going to come alongside of you. I know you don't have the aptitude to walk this journey and to do things right, so I'm the new covenant dad. I'm going to come along and I'm going to help you and I'm going to bring you out of this and I'm not going to let you fail. So hold your head up high and worship me and come to me and appropriate faith in my finished work and in the covenant. Folks, we even when we fail, the covenant is untouchable. It's not broken. It's not broken. You can't break the agreement that was made between the Father and His Son. We learned about it last week. He is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. It could be altered when He was alive. It can't be altered anymore. He is dead and we are the recipients of it. We are the the heirs of the promise. We have received it. It cannot be changed. So dear God, thank you that even when I fail, you have your part of the covenant sealed and I am secure in the everlasting arms of God. Amen? If the covenant could be broke, it would be bad news. And so stop trying to impress Him and rest in God. We rest in the work of Jesus. We rest in the finished work. We rest in the seed that came through Abraham. And, 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 and yeah, do you know, there works? Do we do any work? Yes, it's motivated by love now. It's not motivated by, ooh, I picked myself up. I'm going to prove to you I'm a good kid. No, it's motivated now. God has changed my heart. And I'm motivated to move into the work of God by the love of God that is flowing in my heart. I serve Him out of love. I don't serve Him out of guilt or, 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 or out of a hard taskmaster. So Jesus, listen, in closing, Jesus was physically altered and forever changed at the time. I want you to really think about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh, he needs prayer. Oh, yeah. Reach back there and let's pray for David. Hallelujah. Put your hands on him right there. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our brother, David. And Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the God who answers prayer. And we pray that, you, Lord, you would touch his body right now and help him to feel good. We pray that you would draw him closer to you, God, and that you would just do a mighty, mighty work in his heart and in his life, God. Bless David, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. And, God, let him go out of this place feeling good, feeling refreshed, feeling restored, feeling, uh, God, uh, uh, Lord, uh, knowing that he's accepted and, and, and just uh, have the joy of the Lord in his heart, God. We thank you. We thank you, God, for interrupting, God, this time, God, right now, to pray for a brother, God. Just like we did Wednesday night, God, and you answered that prayer. And, Lord, we're believing right now, God, that you're doing the same thing in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.